Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're all doing well. Thank you once again for tuning into our show, inviting us into your lives for a little bit of F1 chat as we conduct another race review. The podcast is available on all podcasting platforms. If you want to support us, you can give us a five-star review. Please do. We'll be happy to give you a shout-out on a future episode. It really does help us out a lot guys if you're listening and you want to help us out that's how you do it on youtube of course if you're watching this podcast like the video subscribe to the channel if you are new we always have room for every single one of you in the dnf1 family and the bigger community that we get the better because we love talking f1 with you guys and we love hearing your opinions whether you agree with us or whether you don't even if you don't actually yeah (laughs) some of those are actually quite fun to engage with in the comments so uh yeah Another race review in the bag. We've got Lee Wallington joining me on the DNF1 panel this evening. And Lee, let's start things off with the Monaco Grand Prix. What what were your first thoughts on the Monaco Grand Prix in 2023? Well, uh, uh, first thoughts were, what performance for Max? And secondly was, why didn't the ring come sooner? (laughs) Yeah, that is a pretty good way to sum it up in uh, two parts, actually. The weather, that really did affect strategy for a lot of people. You know, will it rain? Won't it rain? We were hoping for rain at the start of the race, like we've got last season. It didn't come. And then we were wondering, was it going to come? What lap was it going to come? Eventually, it did come. And even then, people were wondering, how intense is this going to be? Can they manage? And then it just surprised everybody. And then we had a bit of a wet race towards the end of it as the track was drying up. In all the chaos and all the excitement, something that we've often been void of at Monaco quite often, a lot of people that aren't really fans of the Monaco Grand Prix often say it's a very boring race or it's just a highlight event. It should never really be considered a serious race in the Formula One World Championship. This was one of the better ones. And I think despite everything that was going down this weekend, the one constant that remained, as you said, Lee, the brilliance of Max Verstappen. And and look, this is a guy now, was he 25 years of age? We are still in awe of how impressive Max Verstappen continues to be. And I think there are times that we saw this weekend that really surprised us and really took our breath away with how great he was in qualifying that final sector that he pulled together to find three attempts on Fernando Alonso to snatch pole was remarkable it was one of the best qualifying laps I think I've ever seen or recoveries if you like to get pole position then he goes into the race gets a good start manages the race does 50 plus laps on medium tires which was ridiculous in his own right because of the how he had to manage the weather conditions how that was going to change made the right call on strategy, had a few brushes with the wall. It wasn't exactly a perfect drive, but it was an impressive performance from Max Verstappen. And as I said, Lee, this is a guy 25 years of age now, won 39 Grand Prix, now won more races for Red Bull than 
any other driver now. He's overhauled Sebastian Vettel's record. At this point, should we be surprised at how good Max Verstappen is anymore? It almost seems like he's doing this week in, week out. Uh, I don't think we should stop being surprised at Max Verstappen. You see, with other drivers in the past, or top um, tier drivers in the past, that they always reach these new levels as they gain more experience and they take that next step. We saw it with uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, over the years when he was... uh, Finally, his championships. We saw it with Sebastian Vettel, sorry, Michael Schumacher. And you can see in other sports that the the champions of those sports just take those next steps. That they're constantly amazing and you should appreciate what they they can can achieve. It is especially to the layman's like us, it's like, wow, that's that's just such an impressive. We should always appreciate what they can do and deliver. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, a lot of people that I've spoken to or the opinions I see on social media, and of course you can take that as at face value if you want, depending on who you're looking at or who you're listening to. But I often feel Max Verstappen is not as appreciated or some of the things that he is doing right now is given the credit that it deserves because of how dominant he is right now in this Red Bull. Now, of course, we can all sit there and see what he, and, and see what he's doing and say, oh, well, you know, he's got the car underneath him. Of course, he's going to be winning race after race and dominating F1 when he's driving a car that is so much better than everybody else's right now. But I do feel that there's a level of nuance that often gets misunderstood or completely omitted altogether. And I think we see moments that remind us of how great a driver like Max Verstappen is at the moment when he pulls out that final sector in qualifying that he did yesterday on Saturday. Um, The way he handled this race today, as I said, it wasn't a perfect drive. There was obviously a lot of pressure and expectation on him to deliver. Sometimes that can affect even the best drivers. And the way the race panned out was far from ideal of what Red Bull and Max Verstappen would have wanted in in a drive today. But they handled every moment of adversity incredibly well, to the point where he won the race by half a minute almost. And everyone was like, that's what Max Verstappen does right now. And I think it's that element of it that we need to start. If you're not a Max Verstappen fan, that's absolutely fine. And I'm not a Max Verstappen fan. I think many people that listen to this show know I'm not, but I think there are moments where you have to look at what he's doing right now and just sit there and think, you know what? He might have the best car, but, and and some people may not agree with this, but this is the best formula one driver in the world right now. And he's showing why that is the case. Oh yeah, definitely showing it's the case in that. I, I think the as you already mentioned earlier, that qualifying lap it's not one of those oh nearly has been laps that was the other year where oh it was a perfect two thirds of a lap. Max was down after the first two sectors, and it was that last sector that he brought it all out, and that's just sheer talent. Yes, the car has got the speed, but that 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 talent and what he delivered in the that final sector alone and doing it over a race distance it's it is impressive and you, you we really should be able to appreciate what he he's done yeah i mean the modern f1 i think we can forgive modern f1 for almost taking away that facet of the sport where we really appreciate the all-time greats and the top drivers in the sport and just realize how great they are compared to other drivers that are competing against them on a regular basis who are all very, very good. 
but there's a difference between those that are good and those that are great. And I think from what we've seen this weekend and what we've seen in recent times, we've seen demonstrations and examples as to why Max Verstappen is a great driver. Um, and there are only a few drivers right now that exist in the world of Formula One that can live with him in similar machinery. And unfortunately, we don't get to see that, but it, it's right there. So I, I wanted to get that out because, as I said, 39 wins for Red Bull, 2,000 laps led in his career. He's only 25 years of age. The 200th victory for a driver driving car number one, which, you know, given there's been over a 1,000 races in F1, it's not surprising a stat to hear, but it's still very, very impressive. It all came together for Max Verstappen this weekend. He played a huge part in all of that and now has a 39-point lead in the Drivers' Championship over his teammate Sergio Perez. It does feel right now, Lee, that despite the fact many people looking at this situation and thinking, oh, here we go, Max is winning again, is no one's going to stop him. It very much feels like it's only a matter of time before Max Verstappen is a three-time world champion and perhaps the biggest estimate that we can make this seasonal hypothesis is which race is he going to seal that third title? Uh, it does feel very much inevitable after this weekend in regards to the championship. Um, we could always, regarding when he becomes a title, we can always touch on it in another episode about our prediction for when he gets crowned and that's always a, a be an interesting one we could always uh, come up with with the three of us when Courtney's on in competition and see who's closest that's a yeah. well, we could, I bet he'd love be to be asked that wouldn't it. he We'd, he'd love to <laughs> yeah. answer that question when is Max going to win the world championship <laughs> but uh yeah we can make a game out of that um we need to move over of course to the other side of the garage and this kind of segues us into a new segment lee uh we ha we've had courtney's rant and courtney's not able to join us this weekend unfortunately to give us his rant for this race uh he's having some technical problems that's why he wasn't able to join us this evening um but we have another section that i wanted to dedicate to you for this show to freshen things up a bit and uh forgive me if i'm wrong with the name is it lee sympathy lane is that right pit lane sympathy pit lane sympathy Adam. pit lane so so, Lee, for the benefit of uh, our listening and viewing audience that are new to this segment, who is going to be the first inductee into your sympathy pit lane this weekend? The first inductee to the pit lane is Sergio Perez. And why is Perez in your sympathy pit lane this weekend? Sergio Perez is in the sympathy pit lane this weekend because it's, obviously every driver believes they are the best. They have to. Um, that's how they go, go around and do their job they have to believe they're better than everyone else it may seem arrogant to some but that's what they have to do to get to where they are to get the pinnacle of motorsport this season having the car that Red Bull have Sergio Perez has very much until recently been in the title fight give or take a race win or two he had his slip up in Melbourne and obviously the, the press has been going oh can Sergio take it to Max, can Sergio make it an interesting season? Um, can Sergio elevate that next level? Can Sergio emulate Nico Rosberg and beat the master driver, so to speak, or the number one driver, not the master driver, in the team? And this is the weekend where it comes crashing down and Sergio hits, um, effectively rock bottom, crashes out in qualifying, starts last, um, has contact in the race, has multiple pit stops. Uh, it, it's just a messy race. It doesn't score any points, and now the gap is 39 points, and that's it. Um, 
Sergio is a great driver, but if he believes he can outscore Max over 39 points, the thing is very unlikely. And it's a sympathy that his championship bid only lasted six races. And it's that's it. It's like when you have to feel sorry for to be uh, Max's teammate right now. Yeah, it's a very hard task indeed. And, you know, Sergio Perez will obviously still have all the confidence in the world that he can still have an impact on this championship battle. And of course, you know, we can't write him off just yet. But given the way that Max Verstappen has emphatically responded following what went down at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, I think it's fair to say right now that it's going to take some doing for Sergio Perez to raise his game and expect Max's game to drop somewhat in order to get himself back in this championship fight. Now, we saw last season the gap between Max and Charles Leclerc was significantly higher at one point in the season, which Max was able to overhaul. I'm not sure if Sergio Perez really does have it over the course of a season to put that right and try and win this championship. Now, at the same time, I'd love to be wrong, but looking at this weekend and see how everything fell apart, I can totally understand why, you know, you'd put him in your sympathy pit lanely. I mean, in qualifying, he makes the error, crashes into Sandoval at speed. I mean, he hit that barrier like he owed him money, um, quite frankly. And, look, you know, pardon the pun here. And he would say he was a bit distracted, perhaps, by, what was it, uh, a Williams coming out of pit lane or something like that. I, I can't quite remember what car it was. But starting from the back of the grid, the way that the weekend unfolded for him, you'd have expected how things had gone down. This would have been a slam dunk P2 for him. And... The scary thought is, is that despite being the king of the streets or he's going to be winning on those kind of circuits, and this is one you'd have expected him to do well on, given that nature, Max Verstappen, his teammate, has finished in the top two in every race this season. It's that level of consistency that Perez right now is lacking. And for as long as that continues, he's never going to beat his teammate in equal machinery over the course of the season and win a world championship by extension. So... My heart goes out to the guy, but right now I just, I, it's days like this that just remind us, unfortunately, that despite the fact that Perez is a great driver, he right now doesn't seem to have the consistency to mount a serious championship challenge, especially against a driver like Max Verstappen as his teammate. Unfortunately not, which is uh, why he was the first inductee into uh, Sympathy Pit Lane. It's obviously, it hopefully doesn't reoccur um for him um but i obviously hope he does bounce back and he i'd be completely wrong um but obviously my sympathy is with him today yeah absolutely i mean next week out in barcelona great opportunity in front of a spanish-speaking crowd to really lay down a marker and he was good there last season you know it was that race where i think he was asked to let yeah. max overtake him which resulted in max eventually going on to win that race who's to say that checo couldn't have won that race himself and if he puts together a similar showing next weekend. Maybe he can lay down a marker, but at this point in time, the momentum is very much with Max at this point in time. And unless something dramatic happens, I can't really see that changing for this point onwards. So we'll have to wait and see. Let's move on to Aston Martin now. Fernando Alonso, P2. Overall, a great weekend for him and for the team. Another podium. I think he's, uh, I think it's their best result second place equaling their best results second place for Aston Martin team 
His fifth podium of the season, I believe it is, out of six races. The consistency is incredible for Fernando Alonso. I think it's like only, was it eight points behind Perez in the championship or something like that? Uh, no, no, sorry, 12 yeah, points. Something like that. Incredible stuff from Fernando Alonso to be on the verge almost of fighting Perez for P2 in this driver's championship. But could it have been more this weekend? Could it have been more today? There was a key moment in the race where it started to rain. The moment Aston Martin had planned for on strategy they decided to put Fernando on the dry tyres rather than go for the Inters. Literally a lap or so later, the heavens open. They have to pin him again. And unfortunately, that could have been opportunity gone. Yeah, that was the the, the perfect opportunity to put on the Inters. When Max did pit for the Inters, uh, he was just under 19 seconds ahead of Fernando. And if Fernando had the Inters on the lap before, there could have been a chance that Fernando would have had track position very tight, mind you, um, but he could have had track position. And we know how track position is king in Monaco. And, you know, a driver like Fernando, who is very defensive when he uh, gets asked to, I'm sure that would have been a stand dunk holding Max, uh, well, not stand dunk, because Max can also overtake, but it's a very... Uh, that would be a very interesting end to the race, having Fernando holding off a very fast uh, Max in the wet. So we missed out on that, but Fernando also missed out on a potential win. Yeah, he loves driving a Monaco bus, old Fernando Alonso. So that would have been quite interesting. Um, given the margin between the two drivers at the point of the pit stops, I think it's very feasible that Fernando Alonso would have gained track position on Max Verstappen if they'd made the right call. Now, you know, if and buffs and maybes right now, a lot of people have put that question to Aston Martin. Did they make the right call? Were they too conservative trying to protect P2 rather than going all out for the win? I, I'm i of the opinion where I sympathise with Aston Martin on this one. I know deep down after the race, you know, they were happy with the result. They were sort of somewhat subdued hugs and handshakes amongst some of the crew as they were probably aware in the back of their heads that they probably thought, ah, oh, man, this was a chance. This was the moment. It came. We went one way. It went against us. And, you know, it, it potentially cost us the win. That being said, I, I don't think they can be too hard on themselves. I think I think it was Mike Crack who came out after the race to, when Sky Germany were apparently claiming that Aston Martin, um, sorry, that Fernando Alonso questioned that his, decision and saying that he actually wanted to stay on the dries and Aston Martin were trying to go against that Mike Crack said no it was a team decision we decided to go on the dries we Fernando questioned it whether or not it was the right idea but we decided to stay on the dry tyres I just feel that there was a lot more at stake to lose than there was to win at this point now I know some people will hear that and think oh well what are you saying I'd like Aston Martin threw away an opportunity to win a Grand Prix possibly but at the same time, I, I do feel that if that had gone wrong and they put him on the inters and it didn't rain enough and he had to make a pit for the dry, he'd have been in such a state that Ocon and maybe even the Mercs could have been nipping at the heels or, or overtook him for the podium spots. If you're Aston Martin, I think they will look back on this perhaps as an opportunity that passed them by. But I think in the grand scheme of things, they would be more than happy to have got a second place at Monaco. Given the start of the season that they've had, I don't think they could have asked for much more than that today. So I don't think you can be too hard on them on strategy. In changeable conditions, it's 
you, you can't be too hard. We could have easily been saying, wow, that was an amazing decision from Aston Martin. Everyone else pitted for Inters. It stopped raining and they had to pit again and Fernando didn't and he took the lead. Oh, amazing. Well done, Aston Martin. I can't believe they saw it. They're the only one that thought of that. But it didn't happen. But that's we change your conditions. Some teams will get it right and some teams won't. And it's unfortunate in this instance, Aston Martin didn't get it right to win. But as you said, I think they'd be very happy to walk away with P2. And uh, at the end of the day, they're not fighting Red Bull as much as they would love to be fighting Red Bull. They're fighting Mercedes and Ferrari. And that's where they're thinking of the points. This is a strong P2. This is where we are, especially where the constructors at the moment, they've got Mercedes at one point behind them in the the championship. They really want to, um, looking over their shoulder and securing points that they know they've got and not potential we could get but lose. Yeah, they have to look at this with a glass half full approach or perspective, if you like. And I, I don't want to sugarcoat this for them because I understand it was an opportunity that if they'd have done it again and things had gone differently and they'd have won the race, they'd look like absolute heroes and it would have been an amazing thing to talk about. There will be other opportunities. You know, this Aston Martin team have proven to have built a very, very good car. If they can develop this car as well as we hope they can, and Fernando Alonso continues to do what he's doing right now, and, and I'm not going to lie, Lee, I'm absolutely loving the fact that Fernando Alonso on an F1 podium is now a regular thing again. You know, it does feel inevitable that he's going to win a race at some point, whether it be this season or next season, we don't know. Um, they can't be too hard on themselves. They just have to take the lessons, Give them credit where credit is due. Red Bull made the right call today, but they made the right call with a 20-second buffer. You know, they had room. If things had gone wrong for Max, they did have some wiggle room here. Aston Martin literally had to bake a, a throw of the dice, which is appropriate for Monaco being the city full of casinos, etc., etc., that gambling environment. It was appropriate for it. You know, they went one way, it didn't work out for them, but they didn't lose anything. And Martin Brundle made this point as well, and some people on social media were saying, oh, they're attacking him saying, oh, of course he's lost something. He's lost a chance to win. I'm like, well, that's not what Martin meant. You know, they finished P2 after making the wrong decision. They lost practically nothing, quite frankly. So, yeah, I think you never know with F1, but I don't think Aston Martin can be too downbeat about today. I think they should be very happy on one side of the garage. One point I did want to bring up to you, Lee, that you made earlier about Mercedes being a point off them in the Constructors' Championship this is the concern for Aston Martin because they consolidated the result with Alonso today. But what about Lance Stroll? Now, Lance Stroll, as a driver, is much more capable of doing bigger and better things with this car than he's currently showing. I know the guy's still probably recovering a little bit from the injury and that may have impacted him a little bit. But we're seeing too often now, especially at street circuits where... He is underperforming in qualifying. He's making mistakes. He's getting involved in crashes and incidents. Uh, today, he ended up retiring the car as a result of going through the wars. So the car has to be robust. But Aston Martin need both their guys to be scoring big points to stay ahead of the likes of Mercedes and maybe even Ferrari in this Constructors' Championship. Right now, it's very much spearheaded by Fernando Alonso. What on earth do Aston Martin do about Lance Stroll? Because this isn't just any second driver or other driver this is the boss's son so it's not like you can pressure him with incentives to try and keep his seat to perform better you can't really do that with Lance Stroll so what on earth do Aston Martin do well um I'm sure Fernando was going around today going oh, tell Lance to stop hitting the wall tell Lance to stop 
fatigue damaging his front wing. So Lance says, stop doing this. You know, Fano likes to multitask while he's driving and coach um, Lance. But yeah, um, that's jokes aside. Um, I really do, do seem lost in what they can do. Obviously, they can't threaten him regarding he needs to pick up the performance like we mentioned. They're apparently Marco friend Nick DeFries, the amount of race limits before he's out the seat. That will never happen. It's very unlikely Lawrence won't send Lance to his bedroom if he doesn't deliver because he's grounded. That's <laughs> no, not going to happen. No pocket money for you this week, Lance. <laughs> you have to cut the grass like the other kids. Yeah, um, that's very unlikely to happen. So it's more about coaching. And I think that's very much where Fernando comes in again, coaching Lance and developing in, into what um, Lawrence and Lance both see that he's a championship winning driver. Um and just they need to nurture him and develop him. And races like today doesn't do his reputation very well. We've, we've seen Lance do brilliance in, especially in qualifying, does his wonder laps, and he's like, "Where's that come from?" But today's like races like today, he's like, "Why are you even driving in Formula One? This is this is such a messy race." And I can't, I lost count of how many times you made contact with stuff on the circuit or other drivers uh, or going off. It's yeah, it's just a he's a a puzzle um, and I'm sure the team think of uh, a bit of a puzzle unfortunately yeah it was like there was a bit of a fight going on between him and Kevin Magnussen in the house today um, I mean I was saying earlier in the group chat Lee that for those people that were watching the race on Sky F1 and they had that option on the red button to follow a specific drivers on board throughout the whole race if you were watching Lance Stroll or Kevin Magnussen you'd have thought this was one of the most fun and entertaining Monaco Grand Prix ever like there was always something going on between the two of them. And I think it just sums it up right now. There is obviously some frustration with Lance Stroll. He's obviously not happy about the performances that he's putting in right now. We know he's a better driver than he's showing. But when you've got the four teams fighting out at the front in the Red Bulls, Mercedes, Aston Martin and Ferrari in no particular order, three of those teams have both their guys fighting in the upper echelons week in, week out. You might get the odd race where one of them's having to recover positions and some more than others in that regard, like Perez, for example. But Lance Stroll is always seemingly on the back foot at the moment, with the exception of what we saw in Bahrain and the early stages in Jeddah where he had the reliability issue. After that, it's basically Fernando Alonso on his own. And he's doing a phenomenal job right now. But at the same time, Lance has got to up his game. And I'm sure he's more than good enough to try and figure out how to do that. But at what point do Aston Martin, and in particular Lawrence Stroll, the boss here, starts getting involved and saying, look, Lance, you've got to pick up your game. At some point, I don't know if this is likely, maybe a hard decision will have to be made on this going forward. But um, Aston Martin have a real chance of finishing P2 in the Constructors' Championship. And if they're not able to get their second driver to really contribute some big points to this, they're going to miss out. Yeah, they're going to miss out, and especially as... We know Mercedes up all their upgrades this weekend. Obviously, Aston Martin will bring their own upgrades, but throwing their upgrades next weekend out in Spain, they could easily find um, themselves having those two teams being closer on performance and Stroll could be in between, um, well, conforming sandwich between Fernando and Mercedes and Ferrari. And that's it. That's a constructors championship gone. Um, and just Lawrence will not be pleased with that. Because obviously he wants the team to be fighting for championships, and this, securing P two would be on the step to being number one. Um, 
be it something something needs to change. Um, but if it's the change that we would like to see, probably not. No, but we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Plenty of time to turn it around, but they really yeah. need to find something or something quick for Lance Stroll. Let's talk about Alpine. What a day for them. I mean, this was a team, Lee, a few weeks ago where their CEO, Lauren Rossi, was completely slating them to the nth degree, saying that they're not taking advantage of the performance that they have. They're under-delivering. They're not producing the results that we know that they're capable of in terms of the whole team, not just the drivers by extension. I am pretty certain that today is going to be much more of a reflection of what Lauren Rossi was hoping for. Esteban Ocon was brilliant today. Brilliant this weekend, actually. Pierre Gasly was also very, very good. Big points for Alpine. And Esti Bestie definitely in the groove this weekend. Yeah, it, he was, he's been on it all weekend. Um, obviously feeling very at home um, in Monaco. And uh, yeah, it's this is what um, the three of us have been talking about from Alpine. We're going, oh, we, we think they're the best of it, but they just haven't delivered. And in that sense, being publicly spoken about where Rossi was talking about the other week were probably maybe not the best for him, but Alpine definitely stepped up and delivered. Um, and Esteban on performance was probably shouldn't have been ahead of the Mercedes and Ferrari because there was a almost a, a DRS train, but Monaco position is key and he held it all the way through the Grand Prix and with other different drivers behind him the entire race. We had obviously Carlos at the beginning and then it was uh, Lewis, and he held his court, kept his called way through. Obviously, the first time he's been on the podium um, since Hungary, Hungary twenty one when he won yeah, the race. Yeah. yeah. Um. So obviously happy for him to be there at Monaco. Yeah, it's almost like a, a it's a second home uh, for well for a French driver or being a French being um obviously very close to the Monaco in that sense. I'm sure he'd been very happy with the performance uh, that both of them delivered. It was really enjoyable to, to see Esteban and Pierre delivering. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this was a great opportunity for Alpine to establish themselves as the best of the rest right now. And they're in this you know, precarious position right now where they're not quite on the level of the top four teams where they would want to be but they're still quite a way clear of everybody else behind them. You might get McLaren nipping at the hills every so often, but even them, they just don't have the speed to keep up with Alpine right now. Ocon, and in particular Pierre Gasly as well, they seem to have found their feet with this car. It was obviously a bit of a struggle earlier this season. And, you know, from Melbourne onwards, despite the accident that they have, we've started to see what they are capable of in this car. And, you know, that's a good thing for Alpine. And I think, Despite the fact that Lauren Rossi has pretty much read the right act, in my opinion, quite you know foolishly, towards his own team to try and help himself in this regard or save himself rather than help them, at the same time, I think he would be rather happy if Alpine continue the rest of this season in the same way that they have been performing in the last few races, getting some big points and challenging the bigger teams. Now, of course, Ocon's pace today in the race he, he handled it superbly but nobody is killing themselves into thinking that if this was at any other circuit Ocon would have been able to do the same sort of job that being said I think this just goes to show how good a drivers Ocon and Gasly are at this point in time and a lot of teams are going to be keeping an eye on that 
going forward you know they all seem to find their own you know they're getting more experienced they're getting more mature they're getting better it's these performances week in week out that are putting people on notice with them oh yeah they, they they're both, both of pierre and esteban have been drivers that uh, get attention they or they they've got potential um pierre's obviously recovered from his red bull fiasco from being in, i mean being in the top team and that not working out and being demoted Espen's very obviously comfortable in Alpine, and they're as you said they've now established themselves in in the team. They're finding their feet with the car, and I really look forward to seeing what they can deliver through the season. And I wouldn't be surprised uh, eventually, maybe not with the team, but as drivers, they they're going to be fighting for race wins at some point in their career. Yeah, absolutely, and. I think Ocon in particular this weekend, I think that qualifying lap was absolutely superb. And I'm so glad that he was able to consolidate that on the Sunday with a strong performance in the race. You know, it's very easy for someone to put it together over one lap, but to do it over the race distance and keep those behind him, it's Monaco, we get it. But at the same time, it's still a very, very impressive performance from Esteban Ocon and uh, another podium for the team. Good stuff from them. Let's talk about Mercedes now. A lot of anticipation on Mercedes this weekend, owing to the upgrades that they were bringing. The car looked noticeably dif- uh, noticeably different. It has side pods now. That being said, I don't think many people that had a technical, broad understanding of how Formula 1 aerodynamics work were expecting Mercedes to all of a sudden be the best of the rest behind Red Bull or even challenging them. But overall, I think they'll be pretty happy with that performance they put in this weekend. The pace clearly... In my opinion, they look like they had the fourth fastest car this weekend. That being said, once again, Sir Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, and I think better than any driver pairing right now in Formula One, are continuously optimizing the results that they get from the performance. And as I said, fourth fastest car, you finish P4 and P5 quite comfortably, actually. All I can say to that is, you know, great stuff from the drivers and the strategy was excellent from the team. Yeah, it it just shows you Mercedes at the moment that we've criticised them in the past with their strategy a bit last season, um, but they've seems to be on top of their strategy calls. Obviously, we know they've got two global drivers. The car is lacking, but they're all the ingredients of the top um, bin championship contending team is still there. Obviously, they haven't lost it all in a, in a couple of years, but well, it's a really impressive uh, race result compared to where obviously a few positions in Monaco, especially that sharp end of the grid. It's a very hard and how close the performance has been to get that. But uh, the Ferrari did himself self implode with their weather came along, uh, which did help Mercedes in that regard. But I think they would have very happy taken the results they got, got today if you told them on Friday they would be finishing fourth and fifth. Um, I think they can walk away with that. Obviously, no, it didn't get any further damage to the car through apart from through practice. So They've got some data. They can obviously now go to Spain and Bar- uh, so go to Catalonia and understand their upgrades. And we you see probably a better potential of what they've actually delivered this weekend. Yeah, let's hope so for their sake, because a lot of people, myself included, were very surprised to see Mercedes decide to bring their upgrades to Monaco. I'm sure they would have learned a great deal, even though it was on a circuit like Monaco, especially the way that the race panned out for them. And it's a lot of information that they'll be able to take with them to the Spanish Grand Prix, 
next weekend, where I think we'll get a much better indication and insight as to how effective these upgrades are. Again, I think we need to stress we're not expecting Mercedes to suddenly become the best team behind Red Bull. Um, you know, Mercedes may not even move out from having the fourth fastest car in qualifying and arguably the third fastest car in race trim if you put them ahead of Ferrari in that regard. I don't think many of us are expecting that to change, but it will be very important and very significant to determine at Barcelona next weekend how effective these upgrades are in terms of their development path going forward. And, you know, George Russell, Sir Lewis Hamilton, if they continue to put in performances like they are and continuously progress, things will get better for Mercedes much sooner than some of us may have early uh, anticipated. Yeah, well, we know that Lewis and George will deliver the best they can. They are very capable drivers, very similar levels of performance. Uh, There's not a teammate disparity as in other in some other teams on the grid. Um, so you know that's going to be pushing the team forward. And um, we know that Lewis knows how to set up a car, develop a car. George obviously has some experience with that, but not to the extent that Lewis does. And I'm sure the feedback, if the Mercedes listened to them, that as Lewis has obviously highlighted at the beginning of the season, that he wasn't listened to, which I presume they are, they now are. But I'm sure they will be developing that car quite uh, strongly throughout the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk regarding Sir Lewis Hamilton's future in the build-up to this Monaco Grand Prix. Ferrari were rumoured to have made an approach. That apparently has been rubbished by not only Sir Lewis Hamilton himself, but even Ferrari, Fred Vasseur, said they hadn't made an approach for Hamilton in particular. Charles Leclerc was teasing with the rumours and they asked him what he was looking for and a teammate turned over to Lewis and uh, smiled at him and... Um, just have a bit of fun at our expense. But of course, right now, it does seem that talks between Hamilton and Mercedes are at a very good stage. And by the looks of it, a short-term contract for the next couple of years looks almost all but confirmed at this point, just waiting for that official confirmation to happen. Yeah, it's a two- or three-year contract just being talked about. For yeah. More. I mean, it's a good thing too. I think it makes sense on both parties to continue this relationship. I can't really think of where else Hamilton would want to go or even where he should go, to be honest. What's going to be interesting going forward is this team dynamic between him and Russell. And I know some people won't appreciate me talking about this and I'll keep hammering on because I think it is relevant. We saw Russell today, or we heard Russell today on the radio channels, asking Mercedes to swap the cars so that Russell could be protected from Leclerc from the five-second penalty that he'd occurred earlier on in the race for his dangerous rejoin of the circuit, which caused an incident between him and Perez. And Mercedes looked at that and said, no, we're not going to do that. But the fact that Russell has been asking this question, to me, that does raise an element that Russell is expecting the team to facilitate those requests that he may have now I'm not I'm not suggesting if Russell thinks he's the number one at Mercedes but at the same time the fact that he's even asking the question saying look you know Hamilton's not going to get past stock on here let me have a go at him and I'll swap it back if I can't stay or I won't go more than five seconds ahead of him it's just that element alone that to me it, it has the potential to grow into something not necessarily toxic or tense but it is going to create a scenario here where Mercedes are going to have to manage two drivers that want to be the number one. And you've got on the one hand, George Russell, who is the future of the team at this point in time. And you've got the old guard in Hamilton, who is very much earned his reputation of being 
the lead driver in a team like Mercedes right now? Yeah, there's there are obviously Mercedes have the experience of handling two drivers that want to be number one. Um, obviously, as long as they don't handle it like that, so they know not what to do. Um, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere near toxic yet. If they go into a championship fight, then obviously they has very much the potential to go that way. Um, obviously, George is trying to save his own skin, but he's also trying well, trying to sell it as he was thinking of thinking the bigger picture and thinking of the team to maximize their points. But as yeah. the team already highlighted, he was already ahead five seconds and the gap was getting bigger. So there was no incentive for Mercedes to approach Lewis in, in that regard. Yeah. And even then, if you're Mercedes, you probably think, even if um, he wasn't protected by that amount, I don't know how much they would have given Hamilton the hurry up. It would have been interesting to see how that would have been handled if Leclerc was within five seconds of Russell. But as you mentioned, Lee, that wasn't really a relevant factor. Leclerc was nowhere near Russell, so he was very much protected already, so they didn't need to make that decision. But uh, it would have been interesting to see how that would have gone down. Uh, let's talk about Ferrari, of course. We've um, sort of hesitated, well, not hesitated, we've sort of um, lingered towards them. We praised Mercedes this weekend for optimising the absolute maximum that they could have got out of this weekend with what they had available to them. Ferrari very much the other way, and this feels like a recurring theme this weekend with Ferrari throughout the season where it's just clumsy, whether it be the driver's mistakes, the team's mistakes on strategy. And people often joke that Ferrari have this aura about them as if they have no clue what they're doing. They're just making this up as they go along. But I feel like today was just a prime example. Even this weekend, it's the basic things that they're not even aware of right now, whether it be talking about Verstappen's lap times when Lando Norris is coming on a hot lap in the tunnel behind Leclerc with no opportunity to get out of his way, which causes him to have a penalty. Although I will admit Charles Leclerc shouldn't be going slow in the tunnel full stop anyway. That's usually the number one rule in Monaco. And then you've got signs on strategy complaining that Ferrari were pitting him early when he tried to get past Ocon. Um, and that, obviously that didn't work out. And then he ends up finishing P8. Of course, he made his own error trying to get past Ocon on a move that was never going to happen. It just feels like the same errors are being made again and again and again with Ferrari. And I am honestly have no confidence and faith in them to get this right. It just feels like a bit of a joke at this point. Yeah, I, sometimes you do wonder if um, if they have in the pit wall, they've got a wheel of fortune. It's like, what are we going to Dude, now spin the wheel. <laughs> um, shall we pit? Uh, like Carlos, uh, he has on the hard tyres, and obviously he could gone long. And there was come in, stay out, in, out, in, out. Uh, yes, it could have been strategic. They're trying to force other pit stops, but it did look a bit silly. And obviously, very frustrating for Carlos that he wanted to go long. And then when he did eventually come in, he still wanted to go long, and he was actually quite fuming that he was told to come in. Um, and it just the dilly dallying with the the weather, uh, obviously changeable conditions. You have to respond. Obviously, the right time is very hard to judge, but you have to respond quickly. You leave it too long, you lose positions. If you go too early, you still lose positions. But they went too long, and obviously Mercedes late for both of them. Um, and it just it was just another messy weekend, and we've complained about Ferraris messiness for the last couple of years and 
and they right yes fred has just come in and he's going to take time to make changes because you can't just need to observe and you can't just make changes on the, the flyer because you don't know what you're upsetting or what um, balances internally so it does very feel that fred needs to be looking at this and the strategy and the thinking uh, of the team and just bring some coherence to overall, but that is very much a long process. Um, we're probably not going to see any outcomes of on, on that matter, probably for uh, uh, most of the season, if not into next season. Yeah, I agree, unfortunately. I mean, it gets to a point where you just stop laughing and start thinking, like, what on earth are they doing at this point? I mean, it's like I said, when the rain was coming down, Ferrari have this habit of either reacting too soon or too late, then you had the drivers battling on track because they wanted, you know, to pit first so they wouldn't be hindered by the fact they were double stacking. And I honestly don't know. It's annoying as a Ferrari fan because you want to talk them up and you want to say, look, they'll get it right. It's Ferrari. They will get this right. But honestly, I don't know how other Ferrari fans feel right now, but I just absolutely have no faith in them whatsoever. And that the only saving grace that they seem to have right now is that they are able to produce a fairly decent car, not necessarily a world championship winning car at the moment. And they have two very, very good drivers. Um, And that will always be the way with Ferrari. This isn't one of those situations like in other sports where they don't take advantage of what they have. They're going to lose it and it's all going to go sour. Ferrari is Ferrari. They'll always find people to take those positions and they'll always be fine in that regard. But it's as you said, Lee, very, very messy from them this weekend. And, you know, they were very much well beat by the Alpines and Mercedes, who did a much better job than them, quite frankly. And they probably shouldn't have done. But, you know, that's Ferrari for you. Um, I want to talk about other stories this weekend. Um, we've got to talk about McLaren. New Triple Crown livery that we're going to be seeing at the Spanish Grand Prix as well next weekend. Norris and Piastri did a great job, all things considered. They, both of them in the top 10. I think McLaren will be delighted with that. Yeah, I, I think they'd be very pleased with that. Obviously, they'd be a bit concerned that Alpine has such a strong result. Um, does that mean means Alpine's leaped the frog them in the championship or are McLaren still ahead? Uh, I think Alpine have gone ahead. I'm just checking the standings, actually, as we're doing this. Uh, you can tell how well I prepare for these. Um, yeah, Al- Alpine are, Yeah, they're well ahead of McLaren at this point. They've got like double the points of them. It was a big weekend so, for them, so yeah. So obviously McLaren would be a bit frustrated that they've lost that position to Alpine after their brilliant score in uh, Melbourne or Melbourne brilliant race result. Um, but I think they'd be pleased that they got a 9 and 10. And I, I mean, personally, I feel very sorry for Lando that like Fernando, he pitted and then it started raining. I thought, oh no. But Lando obviously got his position back ahead of uh, his teammate. But overall, it's in the points and they're the, the car is not where they obviously want to be, but it's still developing in the right direction. You could probably say that the sixth band, which has been in the season, but it's still a long way off where they want to be. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I completely understand that. Um, apologies. For anyone that's experiencing any technical issues from over there, we almost sort of lost you for a minute there, Lee. But um, yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Uh, it, it's been a struggle for McLaren, but the drivers are doing a great job. Piastri getting a second point result of the season. Norris 
just doing Norris things right now. At one point, it was the fastest driver on the track on the in the wet conditions. He was doing a great job. So I think McLaren, they're happy with what they've got at the moment. It is a bit of a rebuild going on. So I think they're just going to have to be patient, but good stuff from them. Um, I did want to talk about Monaco in general briefly before we sign off. Carlos Sainz was talking about qualifying and saying that F1 should adopt something similar to what they do in other series where they let only half the cars come out on track for qualifying in Q1 in particular. Um, So obviously you'd have a part A session and a part B session where half the cars go out in Q1, the other half go out in their own Q1 and then they combine the times together at the end of it and then the top 15 or whatever go through to the next session. Is Monaco still fit for purpose in modern F1? I think is the broader question to come from all of that. Well, on the on the first part of Carlos's suggestion, if they were to do that, it would need to be randomised because obviously track changes from temperature and things can make a big difference. Um, but even climate is you could go out in first session, you could be dry in the second session is wet, and all of a sudden you're you're at a disadvantage because this second session of Q1 is wet. Um, so there doesn't need to be a randomization if they did that. I don't think they would. But the fit for modern purpose, it's a discussion we've had for a while about Monaco. Is it fit for purpose? Personally, it's an enjoyable thing being the crown of what it is in the sport. But I don't think it quite works. Um, for Formula One right now, um, I think personally they should get in. Uh, oh, what's the track circuit designer? Um, forgotten his name. Um, so have I. But you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Is it Tillman? <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, I can't yes, remember. It, um, I'm talking. Or although I always thought he got um a lot of bad press for some of the circuits yeah. recently saying that they're uh, a little bit boring. Well, the point I'm trying to make, regardless of the track designer's name, uh, apologies everyone, is they get a track designer to come in and yes, it's a street circuit, but someone look at the street and go, what can we do from, from one perspective to improve the racing? Um, I know, I don't know Monaco's out too well, but um, I've, believe that they, they could obviously rejiggle I think there was a, a roundabout off one of the oh is it by by a Mirabeau there's a roundabout slightly further up that they could make into a a hairpin corner if they expand it. So maybe they need to look at changing the track layout. Potentially uh, I know it's not very easy to widen roads, but look at widen roads um and I know that, that Monaco is going do a land reclamation project so maybe you you do some redesign of the road network down into land reclamation in a few years when that go comes up that you've actually got a wider part of traffic for improving overtaking but i feel there needs to be some reviewing of the circuit to improve racing um but that's very unlikely that it's a city after all yeah that is true it's always the age-old question with monaco is how do we improve or how do we fix the monaco grand prix to make it more entertaining I think it's just um, it's just one of those things in Formula One that I just don't really see a plausible answer. I think the only way you could make Monaco more interesting realistically is making the cars smaller, you know, make it a little bit more easy to overtake than it currently is, which is practically non impossible. I mean, we did get quite a few overtakes today, although that came mostly at the expense of Logan Sargent, who, if I'm brutally honest, I think he got absolutely spooked by Kevin Magnussen. 
And then he was being mugged left, right and centre by other cars who were doing the same thing because they knew he was going to pull out. So they just completely commit to an overtake, knowing that if he turns in, their race is ruined. And he just didn't do that. So, you know, I feel sorry for Logan Sarge. And then it's a rough experience, but that's the brutal nature of Formula One. So, you know, unless the cars are going to be smaller going forward, which, as I said, I doubt that's going to be the case. I can't really see how you can fix the Monaco race. I think it's just one of those, Lee, where if Monaco continues to be on the F1 calendar, and there are a lot of people, myself included, would like that to be the case. I think it's just one of those races where fans who are expecting an exciting race are just going to have to live with the fact that it's very, very likely that it's going to be more of a procession and it's more about the glitz and the glam and the cars racing on narrow streets and qualifying being the highlight as it was this weekend. You know, qualifying was brilliant. Of course it is. It's Monaco. I think people are just going to have to live with that reality, unfortunately, unless something dramatic happens in the future. Yeah, it's more likely that will be the the reality, as you said. Um, but yeah, I think people are going to live with it. I know, obviously, Monaco are very keen to stay on the calendar in the long term. Um, but yeah, qualifying itself, yeah, it was brilliant. I can't take anything away. It's one of the most exciting qualifying sessions we've had in a few years. Um, really enjoyable. So, got to give Monaco credit on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's all we've got time for in this episode. I know we've been having a few technical hitches throughout this episode, so apologies for that in the meantime. Normal service will be resumed for the next episode when we preview the Spanish Grand Prix. But of course, guys, if you have enjoyed the episode, make sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel if you follow us on YouTube, follow us on your favourite pod platform, please leave us a five-star review. It really, really helps us out and doing something as little as leaving us a five-star review means the world to us. So please, please help us out if you can. But until next time, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Please stay safe and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Podcast Network.